1: back it is 2021 and the state of recruiting is back uh we took a few weeks off i had covid nick uh nick was doing a lot we had state um a lot of things going on but mostly we didn't have a ton to talk about with with the coaching situation and flux we now have a lot of things to talk about uh and to do that i'm bringing on uh a great guest today that that's very in tune with former or with uh, with new Texas coach Steve Sarkeesian. It is the great Brandon Huffman of Twenty Four Seven Sports. Brandon, thanks for joining me.
0: Hey, Mike. Good to be here. Good to be anywhere.
1: I know it's. Uh, I know it's early on the West Coast. I appreciate you uh, taking some time for us this morning. Um, so we'll jump right into it. You, um, you were part of helping Horns twenty four seven help break the story, and, and obviously you've got um, sources everywhere. But you covered uh, Steve Sarkeesian in, in basically everywhere he's been up and down the West Coast. Um, you know, let's start with with the good. What really stands out about him as, as both a coach, but mainly as
0: a recruiter. Well, I mean, he's got a track record as a great recruiter, whether it was as an assistant coach like he was at USC uh, before he got his first head coaching job, uh, the work he did at Alabama to get Bryce Young, who ultimately ended up our number one overall player in 24-7 rankings in 2020, and then you go back in his time as a head coach. You know, In the the time he was at Washington, taking over an 0-12 team and and quickly turning them into a bowl team and recruiting well in California, uh, doing a good job of Getting some guys outside of the normal Washington recruiting grounds, and then you look at what he did at USC in his first year there. He got hired shortly after Thanksgiving, and it was still before the early signing period. The close that they had in the 2014 class when they closed with Adoree Jackson and Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, one of those. Just closes that I think really gave USC fans a lot of excitement of what he was capable of, and you know he's shown a very strong attention to detail as a recruiter, as a head coach uh, who was in charge of you know recruiting, uh, and as an position coach and as an offensive coordinator in charge of recruiting. That was never something that he really struggled with. Is he usually had really good classes no matter where he was at.
1: Uh, You mentioned the quarterbacks. We've heard a lot of the good things on the quarterbacks he's evaluated and recruiting. I mean, would you say overall he's been a pretty strong evaluator at that position? I mean, everybody's got their share of misses for sure, but um, has he
0: had more hits than misses? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. If you look at his last real full recruiting class that he was responsible for at USC, uh, that was the class of 2015. They ultimately, uh, you know, he was fired during the 2015 season when they were putting the, the makings on the 2016 class. But that 2015 class. One of the first quarterbacks that he got a commitment from when he was at USC was a kid by the name of Ricky Town. And at that time, Ricky Town was considered by many to be the number one pro-style quarterback in the country, was committed to Alabama, had committed to Alabama in the summer of 2013. Sark gets hired in November of 2013, and then in January, he flips Ricky Town. But it was not Ricky Town that really showed what his foresight was and his evaluation skills. It was a quarterback. He ended up getting about five months later, a young man out of San Clemente high school named Sam Darnold, who was the second quarterback in that class. And obviously you look at, you know, the, the career, Max Brown, who he recruited to Washington, who was from the Washington uh, University of Washington's backyard. He ultimately signed with USC when Sark got to USC, Cody Kester was a starter. So Max Brown ended up being the incumbent and took over for him, but it wasn't long after that, you know, Clay Helton inserted Sam Darnold into the starting lineup. That Sam Darnold recruitment was largely because Sark realized there needed to be an athletic quarterback in that room, in that quarterback room. And, you know, while he was gone by the time Darnold made his impact at USC, it was the inheritance of Ricky town that, You know, I wouldn't necessarily say they pushed for Ricky Town. They got his commitment, but they pushed for Sam Darnold. And to get him as the second quarterback in a year where a lot of other schools needed a number one quarterback, I I think that showed right there what he was capable of doing, you know, when he was going and recruiting quarterbacks. You go back to when he was at Washington, uh, you know, he brought in some good quarterbacks there that ultimately uh, became starters for the Huskies down the line. And I think you just, you know, you look at what he did. It at you know the Sam Darnold one. That that's one of the ones that I think kind of resonates the most with USC fans. You know, what would have happened if Sam Darnold doesn't take over? They don't win that Rose Bowl in, in 2016. They don't win the Pac-12 title in 2017. And, and that was largely because of Sarkeesian. And they don't beat Texas in that overtime game in uh, 2017, I want to say, or 2018, maybe. Um, 20 yeah, that was 2017 at home, yeah, when yeah. Sam Darnold was supposed to be the, the greatest of all time. Yeah, and
1: that was Sam Ellinger's, uh not his first start, but it maybe his second start. That was his freshman year. Um so what a wow, looking back it, it doesn't seem like that long ago. Um you mentioned have the need for having an athletic quarterback. I guess that's kind of what I've been trying to determine is is there a type of quarterback he likes um you know, he's had guys you know at, at, at Bama right now you've got Mac Jones who's more of a pro style guy, but they've had, you know, obviously they recruited Bryce Young and um, they've had mobile guys in the past. Uh, is there do you think he he has a certain fit or is it more of a on a year by year
0: basis? I think it's on a year by year basis. I mean, if you look back to the quarterbacks that he recruited to Washington, the quarterbacks recruited USC, he wanted guys that were passers first and foremost. But if they had the ability to make plays with their legs, he would utilize them. You know, and that's where Sam Darnold fit in, even though in that same year, Ricky Town was a pro-style quarterback. But you go to Alabama, I mean, Bryce Young gets labeled a dual threat. I think we even had him as a dual threat. But Bryce isn't the guy who wants to make plays with his feet. He wants to make plays with his arm. He wants to get that ball downfield and. Despite not being the biggest guy in the world, Bryce can, you know, spin that ball and get it downfield. So I think Sark, you know, he just wants guys that can make plays, whether it's with their their feet in addition to their passing or if they can just be strictly, you know, truly passing quarterbacks, then I think that's what he wants. But I think it all is just, it's cyclical. I think it all depends on who's available and you know who's attainable. In that respect, if you look at some of the quarterbacks that Alabama was targeting in the 2021 class, Miller Moss, I wouldn't necessarily call him super athletic. He can decently move, but Alabama had him as one of their, he was, Alabama was one of his four finalists, and he's more of a pro style guy. So I think it, it all just kind of varies from year to year, depending on what's available. That said, it won't surprise me at all if his first couple targets in the next few classes are guys like Malik Murphy or uh, Malachi Nelson, who are both out of Southern California. I'm sure he's going to try with Quinn Ewers. I mean, he'd be foolish not to, uh, but if you look at Murphy and you look at Malachi Nelson, the top quarterbacks in California, in the next two cycles, those are guys that are big athletic quarterbacks.
1: Yeah. I think, um, obviously we've, we've talked a lot about those two guys, uh, I, weirdly enough, I know Malachi Nelson really well even for not being a California guy because I came out to Tom Herman's satellite camp at Cal Lutheran when Nelson threw there as an eighth grader, and I think I was the first guy to ever write something about him. And uh, he remembered that, so uh, he and I talk quite a bit. Uh, having not seen Malik Murphy, I do know his his quarterback trainer very well, who's also Malachi's quarterback trainer, um, and and have heard him referred to
0: as Baby Cam. Uh, is that would that be an accurate uh, accurate assessment? of him I think that is an accurate assessment of him although I like Malachi's polish as a passer a little bit more than I did for Cam Newton kind of at the same stage
1: yeah that that makes sense um so I guess we've talked a lot about the good where is there where are the things with with Sarkeesian that maybe you know this is where he messed up in recruiting um you know, as, as a coach at, at Washington or at USC, what were maybe the downfalls or the red flags to look for there?
0: So I I think if you see what he did in his first class at USC, when he got there in the six weeks, eight weeks, when he closed on Adoree Jackson and Juju Schuster, I mean, at that point, Adoree Jackson looked like he might be heading to the SEC. Juju looked like he was heading to Oregon. And both those guys came from programs that were long considered pipelines, the USC, Adoree Jackson out of Sarah high school in Gardena, Juju Schuster out of long beach poly. So getting those guys to close he also was able It was key in closing on damian mama who was the top lineman in southern california out of st john bosco and bellflower that was good the problem was what preceded him at you at university of washington was with the exception of one year where he was able to get Kasten williams and austin safarian jenkins who were both army all americans all you know top 50 top 100 players he had issues at times keeping the local kids home and part of that was because of his insistence on recruiting California when he was at Washington. At times, there would be kind of an ignoring of the local products, the expectation, well, they're local. They're going to want to come here anyway. Let's focus our attention in California. So one year he gets Austin Safarian Jenkins' case and Williams, figures it's going to be easy. The next year he has two bona fide blue chip offensive linemen in the state both are Washington legacies and both end up going to other Pac-12 schools Josh Garnett who ended up winning the Outland Trophy was a first round draft pick out of Stanford his dad played for the Huskies and then Zach Banner whose uh, father was Lincoln Kennedy former Husky offensive lineman and Zach went to USC so you look in that cycle yeah he got Shaq Thompson out of the Bay Area but he lost two local kids and then the next year Miles Jack loses him to UCLA. And then a year after that, they were trading water and really were probably running third or fourth at best for Buda Baker. And Buda Baker ultimately signed with Washington once Chris Peterson was hired. But that was kind of one of the blind spots that he had, that there was such a need and insistence to recruit Southern California and Northern California that at times he kind of took the Washington kids for granted. Now, he's going to be in a much more plentiful and bountiful recruiting area for in-state talent at Texas, but is he going to be like Tom Herman and try to use those Southern California ties to recruit California, or is he going to focus like most coaches should in a state that loaded? Is he going to focus on the state of Texas with maybe just a couple of guys here and there from California? And that's the key. I think when you're at a school like Texas, when you're at a flagship university like that, you could get what the majority of your class thought ever leaving the state lines and I think that's going to be a real test to see how much he's learned or does he think, you know, and, and probably rightfully so, especially after having been at Alabama and at USC, where they're both kind of national brand programs. Is he going to treat Texas like it's a national brand and try to use his ties to bring kids to a program like Texas? But I think the, the big thing for him is making sure he doesn't ignore and forget his backyard.
1: I want to ask about his time at Washington because um, it's been brought up a lot, his head coaching record. and You're as familiar with anybody I know uh, with the Washington program. I Can people really appreciate how bad that program was when he took it over? And, yeah, maybe the record's not
0: fantastic there, but, you know, how big of a job did he do turning it around? When he took over that program, Washington was literally at rock bottom. I think they're still the, the only Pac-12 school, in the, or at least of the most recent, 12 years ago, to have a winless season. And yeah, Arizona had a winless season this year in a shortened year, but they went 0-12 in 2008, losing in absolutely horrible fashion in a, one of the worst Apple Cups I've ever seen against the Washington State team that only had one win And when they fired Tyrone Willingham, I mean, that was one of those firings that was two years too late. So when Sark got there, he's coming off, you know, being at USC, winning a couple national championships, playing for another national championship. And the team that he took over at Washington was terrible. The team he had just left at USC was one of those teams that, had they not lost a Thursday night game to Oregon State, might have been a national championship. So you go from a Mark Sanchez-led offense to now Jake Blocker, who took his bumps and bruises in his first couple of years under Tyrone Willingham, and recruiting wasn't going that great. A lot of those in-state kids, with the exception of Locker, at that time were leaving. Taylor Mays had left Washington to go to Seattle. Steve Schilling had left Washington to go to Michigan. All the top players in the state of Washington were flocking elsewhere. And so he was able to quickly reestablish keeping the local kids. Yes, he inherited a class that you know had Jermaine Curry, and Caballo Middleton, who are Army All-Americans, but more often than not, good local kids were leaving. So he was able to start to keep the local kids for at least a couple of years, but also resurrect the career of Jake Locker, who came in with such fanfare and really utilize a player like Chris Polk at that time and really use his ability as a offensive play caller to, kind of rally that team and I think they were five they won five games his first year then the next year uh they were three and six then won their last three games to qualify for a bowl in which they ended up beating a pretty good Nebraska team in the holiday bowl and with the exception of this year when they opted out of a bowl game because of COVID Washington hasn't missed a bowl game since Sark's second year so Considering that they had not gone to a bowl for I think six or seven years, they were a once proud program. And, you know, there was a lot of players on that 2016 Washington team that made it to the playoffs before they lost to Alabama that were Sarkeesian recruits, you know, a lot of them were still Chris Peterson recruits, I think Sark gets a little too much credit for that team. But the reality is so many of those guys were John Ross, Elijah Qualls, Dante Pettis was a, a player that Chris Peterson brought up from Boise State. Uh, but there were some key contributors on that team that Sark recruited. So he really helped turn it around from an abysmal program. We went from 0-12 to winning a bowl game within two years. So obviously,
1: I, I think we've talked – well, one more question I had about Sark actually is um, <clears throat> if, if he is going to go – back to the West Coast, he's going to need some guys who are familiar with recruiting that area. So far from what we know, we expect A.J. the who was an analyst with him at Alabama, who we know nothing about recruiting-wise, uh, to come with him. We know that Kyle Flood, who, who's mostly been a Northeast guy, uh, is probably going to be the offensive line coach and offensive coordinator. We've heard a lot about Holman Wiggins, the, the wide receivers coach, who again is more of a Northeast guy. Um, if he's going to make you know, some waves out West, who are some guys we might look at as key indicators that if he hires this person, it means he he really plans on getting serious
0: recruiting out on the West coast. Well, I think the, the one name that's been banded about the most is Tosh Lapoy, And he hired Tosh. Out of California, he was in the Bay Area, he was a Cal alum, played at Cal, coached at Cal for the majority of his career, and one of the most significant, I would say it was one of the most significant assistant coaching moves in the last decade in the Pac-12, because it kind of, you know, really resulted in a shift in the Pac-12, when he was able to hire Tosh Lapoy away from Cal, Tosh was hugely key in Cal's recruiting efforts over the previous few years. And in fact, when Tosh took the job at Washington, at that point, Cal had, I think, five guys commit to them during the Army All American Bowl. And one of them ended up staying with Cal when it was all said and done. The other four all flipped either to Washington, some flipped to UCLA. Uh, They were on the cusp of getting Eric Armstead, who ended up committing to Oregon and becoming a first round draft pick. That was the impact that Tosh had in making that move from Cal to Washington. And it really sent a ripple effect through the Pac-12 that, wow, one recruiter can have that much of an impact. He wanted to take him with him to USC. At that point, there was some other things hanging over both of them that didn't allow that for it to happen. Tosh ultimately ended up at Alabama as an analyst. And then a few years later was the defensive coordinator. He's been in the NFL for the last two years, but I know that there is still a feeling of unfinished business with Tosh. That The feeling that the last, the taste that was left in his mouth was the national championship game where Alabama really got destroyed by Clemson in Santa Clara of all places in the Bay area where Tosh was from. And ultimately he decided to go to the NFL. But I think, you know, when you have a guy who's as good of a recruiter as Tosh, they realize that their game is still best in college because that's where they get to recruit. He's, spending time in the NFL, learning more X's and O's and really refining himself as a call as a X's and O's coach. But the reality is he's a fantastic recruiter, but he's also got a national name. He recruited to Alabama the last few years. He was huge in them getting Najee Harris, who's obviously a huge part of their team this year. So it's Sark hires Tosh you can expect Tosh to be that visible national recruiter who won't just hit the west coast hard he'll hit the whole country hard because that's how he operates but that's the kind of recruiter you bring in when you're at a new program and you've got you know a lot of guys on your staff that maybe X's and O's guys you go bring in a phenomenal recruiter like Tosh who you know is arguably one of the best recruiters in college football. What is it about Tosh that makes him such a good recruiter I mean is it
1: is it relationship building is it you know, he relates well with kids, or you know, as he seems like a pretty intense guy, but um, you know, sometimes that resonates with kids.
0: You know, it's the relational part of it. And I think that, you know, he's he's taken a lot of heat from fan bases over the year. They call him like Xbox Tosh because that was this thing he'd get on Xbox Live and they would recruit kids. But it was that relationship where guys felt comfortable with him. Guys are willing to leave the West Coast to go play at Alabama largely because of the influence and the impact that Tosh had, and he just the care he shows for his players. I mean, you're not going to ever find a player who's Tosh recruited or Tosh coached That's not going to say, you know, Tosh is one of the most important people in my life. One of them I still see to this day, Elijah Qualls, who played for him at Washington, uh, won a Super Bowl with the Eagles a couple of years ago. Uh, Now he's in between leagues and I see him at a couple of camps coaching defensive linemen. I mean, Tosh is basically... The, the guy who rescued him from a horrible living situation that he had in Northern California and turned him into an NFL draft pick. And, you know, that's what you see. Tosh is, he's, you know, he's rock and roll, he's country, he's hip hop, he's R and B, you know, he can be electro. I mean that the guy can be anything you ask him to be just so he can relate to kids. And I think that that's something that's lost in this day and age where you see a lot of college football coaches where there's a clear hierarchy and where the, the coach is and where the player is, Tosh, I wouldn't say he's blurred the lines because that makes it sound like it's bad. I think Tosh has shown that you don't have to be a dictator to really get through and resonate with these kids and impact their lives. And I think that that's why so many players have spoken so highly of him throughout his career.
1: Well, that's uh, certainly a ringing endorsement. One guy we've reported as a name that could be of interest uh, is a guy you're probably familiar with in the Pacific Northwest is uh, Keith Hayward at Oregon. Um, what are his connections? And and I know he has worked under Sark in the past. And, uh, you know, what? what
0: is the, your impression of him as a recruiter? Another good recruiter, a guy that has had a, a tremendous impact as a DB coach, either he was at, you know, so he was at Oregon State in 2011 and then, when uh, Sark basically made over the entire staff in the offseason, after it, I'm sure Texas fans remember when RG3's final college game. Baylor smacked Washington in the Alamo Bowl. I think I gave up, you know, Washington gave up like 60 plus points. Well, that offseason, you saw Tosh, or you saw Sark realize he needs to make some changes. So he fired his longtime friend, Nick Holt, as the defensive coordinator, brought in Justin Wilcox, who's now the head coach at Cal, brought in Peter Sermon, who's now the defensive coordinator at Cal, brought in Tosh Lapoy, and then brought in Keith Hayward as his defensive backs coach. Over the next couple of years, Keith Hayward was really key in the development of Desmond Trufant, who ended up being a first round draft pick of the Atlanta. Falcons uh, Keith had done a good job of recruiting guys that were key to the Washington resurgence guys like uh, uh, you know Kevin Keane you know he did a really good job there then he went to USC was at USC for the two years that Sark was there when Sark was fired Hayward was let go at the end of that year went to Louisville then ended up at Oregon where he's been a key part of that staff he was first on Willie Taggart's staff at Oregon he's been there the last three years under Mario Cristobal has been a huge part of Oregon's recruiting efforts in California Keith's a California guy Southern California guy as well so he's got tremendous ties to the South to the Southland he's got ties to the Northwest but he's also been mobile he's moved around he's been in Louisville so he isn't a guy that's only been on the west coast he actually has some time outside of the region but he's been with sark at two different stops and uh, a guy that i think you know it could be ready for a move to reunite him with sark well that is a uh, a ton of great
1: information as always from you mr huffman i uh, i'm a little sad we should you and i should be sitting on a patio somewhere in san antonio right now um, typing up practice notes and and eating enchiladas, uh, mm-hmm. but but uh, hopefully we will we'll get to do that next year. Uh, it's been a it's been a tough year. Of not uh, it, you know the crazy thing is is and we talked about this back when I had you on in March, but like the last big event we did before shutdown was was Pylon Vegas, and I thought you know we've got a big spring ahead of us, and that was really the last thing. But it was a good event to go out on.
0: Well, not only that, I. My good friend, Blair Angulo, who I used to do the West of the Rest podcast with, I cheated on him by taking you to Tacos El Gordo, and I finally ultimately admitted to Blair that I cheated on him and I took you there, but if that was going to be the last meal I had on the camp circuit before the shutdown, it was well worth the cheating, and I'm just glad that you got to experience that because those are tacos unlike any other.
1: There are many times, and I look, I live in Texas. We know tacos. But there are many times I will find myself daydreaming about those tacos um, just during, throughout the day. You know, I'll be writing something and just thinking, I wish that taco place was right down the street. So it was uh, – I cannot watch a show where the Las Vegas lights come on that I don't start thinking of tacos anymore, though. <laughs> yeah. So when we do finally get to go back to Pylon Vegas, which is a trip I plan to make every year now, especially, you know, with Sarkeesian in place, it's going to be a, 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 basically a, a good work trip for me to go see those West Coast teams and those guys – Um, that's going to have to be a must every, every single time. No doubt about it. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Brandon Huffman. Thank you for, uh, for bringing the state of recruiting back in a new year with a new coach. And we, we appreciate all the insight and uh, you know, we'll see if those things happen with with Tosh down the road and maybe we'll have you back on for some reaction if that happens, but uh, guys, everybody, uh, I guess tell everybody on here where they can find you on Twitter and, and all those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Huffman. I mostly tweet college football recruiting related stuff with the occasional Angels and Lakers tweets. I'm sorry, I'm from Southern California. It's who I am. It's what I do. Uh, but it's mostly college football recruiting related with the occasional snark and the occasional trolling of Clipper fans.
1: Yeah, he's from Ventura, as he so often tells me. And um, he uh, once played high school football against Tom Herman.
0: I did, and We beat him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, uh, Brandon. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you later. And uh, to everybody out there, uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.